Thank you so much, Jack, for taking the time and coming on the podcast today. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I was fortunate to catch up with you a few weeks ago on, on some other stuff, but uh, definitely wanted to get you on the podcast and talk about all these things you've been doing. You, you kind of blew up on TikTok. Uh, now you've built uh, a significant following on Twitter as well, and you're talking about space, talking about hard tech, and just taking a, a really um, fresh and interesting approach to creating content about a very um, positive, I think, narrative around technology, which is obviously very similar to to what I'm doing, just with more so like the podcast and and uh, you know writing and things like that. So uh, a natural conversation to have, I think, and. I'm looking forward to digging in on some things for for people who aren't so familiar with who you are and what you're doing. Uh, I think the best place to get started would just be to uh, have you tell your story a little bit from uh, as early as you're willing to really start to kind of where you are now. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on, Jake. I uh, really appreciate it. This is um, yeah. So how I got started in uh, TikTok is you know I used to make YouTube videos. Uh, my friends, they quit their jobs at one point and started not necessarily a startup, but just a, a company. And I started making vlogs like I was trying to imitate David Dobrik uh, and his comedy vlogs and transfer that into uh, startup vlogs. And uh, so that was fun, but it was you know pretty hard to grow on YouTube. Distribution's pretty tough and TikTok was kind of popping off at the time. So I was I studied chemical engineering. And I had, you know, previously worked at the Gigafactory. Then I started my own startup, and then I joined a YC startup as an early engineer, working on their manufacturing and supply chain. And so I was doing that during my day, and then during my nights, I was just uh, started making content with this idea to be a creator that invests in startups. And so I had made a few TikToks, and then one of my earliest TikToks went uh, relatively viral at the time. It got two hundred thousand views. And it was a recap of Elon Musk presenting the Starship architecture. And so I was like, okay, this is, there's clearly a niche here on TikTok to be a space guy with space videos. And so I kind of doubled down on that. I made like five videos of, of just the Starship architecture after that. And then I started transferring into uh, other space startups. So like Rocket Lab and then lesser known space startups. And then I started just doing general like hard tech startups. And now I would say that I just kind of make TikToks about TikToks and, you know, YouTube videos and now podcasts about hard tech startups building a more optimistic future. Yeah, it's, it's really an awesome set of content. Definitely, you know, we'll, we'll give the links at the end of the show and I encourage people to go consume the TikToks. It's easy to, uh, to go down a rabbit hole and get lost as I did uh, yesterday <laughs> and, and times before that as well. Um, it's just like everything's bite size and you actually get like a tremendous amount of information across very quickly. Um, I'd sort of had this experience previously, like I, I'm not on TikTok and I'm not really too familiar with, uh, you know, a lot of the majority of the content that goes on there, but I had uh, Isabel Bomecki on the show previously. She's like a mm -hmm. nuclear energy influence. Yeah, we're friends. She's cool. Yeah, yeah, she's great. And, um, and that was my first introduction to like, okay, a minute long TikTok video, you can actually learn like a good amount and so the same definitely holds true um people underestimate how much you can compress in 60 seconds like there is so much wasted time in youtube videos especially just by youtube trying to make the videos uh promoting videos that are longer than 10 minutes just because you can put two ads in there people end up wasting a lot of time and so it feels like it's necessary but i think you can really compress a lot of information um as demonstrated in 60 seconds for sure 
Yeah. So let me ask, how did you like first get into space and hard tech more generally? I know you mentioned like the chemical engineering background and working at Tesla Gigafactory, but was this like a, a childhood thing or just something you sort of developed over time and interest in these sort of categories? Yeah. I mean, actually, I grew up in Houston near the NASA Space Center. So I was, you know, I was surrounded by a few of my neighbors were astronauts. I was surrounded by NASA engineers. Um, so I, I've definitely been exposed to space ever since childhood, for sure. Um, but I would say like the big time where I where I really got a, kind of obsessed with space was I was I was playing soccer and I ended up spraining my ankle and breaking my foot. And I was kind of bedridden for a few days. And one of those days, I just consumed the Martian and living on Mars, like it really felt like I was living on Mars and I kind of just became obsessed with that. I started getting into in-situ resource utilization and all these techniques for processing Martian regolith. And I read a lot of NASA papers and I ended up making processing the Martian soil a uh, part of my final grad project in chemical engineering. So um, like I can, I can get into the details of that project, but I would say that was definitely the uh, start of my interest in my, more mature interest in space so like what yeah i mean I, we don't need to go like too deep in the details if it's not uh you know if you don't think it's that interesting but i'm curious like i don't even know what that means like processing martian <laughs> soil you said for your senior for your senior project like what is for that? sure yeah so and and technically it's martian regolith um but soil it's it's just dirt essentially and what i was working on was developing so martian regolith has perchlorates in the soil which is clo four, so chlorine and four oxygen atoms. And what you can actually do is you can design, you can take this enzyme and design a bacteria. Um, you, can, you can just use some synthetic biology and you can actually reduce the perchlorate into free Cl, which then can attach to something else and then create two oxygen O2 molecules. And so what this means is that you can actually put this bacteria solution in dirt and then create breathable oxygen from it. So I kind of became obsessed with like, okay, it takes maybe, uh, I, don't, I don't know, like a, a, a two foot by two foot by two foot uh, box of dirt. And then you can actually breathe for a few hours if you had this dirt and you were like stranded somewhere uh, on Mars. So, and, and then also like just producing more oxygen for the colony in general. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd say like half of that made sense to me and the other half I'll have to go back and listen again. But uh, but I get the, the point of it. It sounds like just to like make oxygen and make otherwise unlivable habitats potentially. Yeah, more it was just using what really interested me about it was it was using biological methods to create the oxygen. Um, and so what was interesting about that is that you can uh, you won't run out of the bacteria to cre continue creating the oxygen. So you can have like a growth rate of the bacteria and hopefully, and you know, you have these raw inputs, create the bacteria and then it creates the oxygen uh, once you mix it with the soil. And the perchlorates are also damaging to humans. So if you grow plants that absorb these perchlorates it and you eat these plants or vegetables or whatever, it will actually impact your thyroid gland and uh, be pretty damaging to humans. So this is a huge thing that we need to get rid of in the dust and the uh, regolith of Mars. Hmm, that, that's interesting. So, I mean, it's obvious that that you had a lot of uh, pent up knowledge, even just like when you were graduating and in school. And then uh, ultimately, it sounds like you kind of started dabbling in, in some of this content creation and decided to go full time uh, more recently. Can you talk mm -hmm. about like I, I faced like somewhat of a similar 
situation myself maybe but i'm curious to hear what your considerations were and like what finally convinced you to sort of take the leap on uh going full-time with nasdaq yeah i think it was it was well for one i would never know what full-time nasdaq would have been if i had never done it so it was kind of just the curiosity of needing to understand what would happen and what will happen um but then two it was just i had started making money from actually making content i had signed a few brand deals and i was like okay i have enough runway this essentially these brand deals give me maybe a few months of standard income and i was like okay i'm just gonna take the leap and see where it goes so it was really just making sure that i had audience and engagement and i was getting paid for the content and i was like okay now now that i am uh it's time to start to focus on this full time yeah it's great it makes a lot of sense and it's great that you were able to like monetize fairly early in like at least a reasonable enough way to be able to to run with it and create that runway for yourself like you said um i i understand that like the content creation is just you know one part of the the picture for you like you you wrote about this master plan on Substack which I thought was really interesting and like well thought out. Uh, and it's basically like, there's kind of three prongs, which is like build a community, meet a bunch of founders, and then be able to invest in their startups. And obviously with the theme being sort of hard tech space, all these things that you're producing the content Optimism. about. Um, so mm -hmm. we'll, we'll love to kind of hear your like overview of that master plan and like how you think about it today, if it's at all different from like when you posted and then just kind of like where you are in that journey. I, I know like, you and I, I think both are, are still, at least we view ourselves as being like very early on, on whatever this journey is that we're on, but curious to just kind of hear your, your overview on it. Yeah, I feel, I feel, and I hope that I've only accomplished like 1% of what I want to do. I do think I am totally at the beginning and I'm still figuring out a lot. Um, but the master plan has always been to, I had I, essentially, I had seen all these creators making a ton of money and I had known that angel investing existed and just VC and investing in general existed. And I was like, okay, why aren't these content creators investing their money instead of just like, you know, spending on cars, which, which does get them more views for their later videos and everything. Um, but I was thinking that, you know, investing it in, in startups would actually be amazing. And then they could promote these startups. So I was like, okay, I should clearly do this. I think this is a unique idea uh, combining kind of content creation and startups or, or VC. And so the, the entire goal is to make enough money as a content creator, uh, which can possibly have outsized returns compared to typical salaries. Uh, and then, you know, take all that money and invest it in these founders that are building really optimistic, hard tech futures, futuristic companies. And as the, the way that I would phrase that is that the, the future Tesla's, the future SpaceX's, which also you know, just by the nature of being SpaceX or Tesla, get a ton of media attention uh, on their own as well. So you can you can kind of promote them, help them grow, help them hire um, and, and everything like that. So when you think about investing like today, like if you were in a position, I, I know you we'll, we'll talk about sort of your ambitions and in, in angel investing. And uh, I know you like were able to write your first check I heard, which is great. Um, but if you like were like fully ramped right now and and had like a, a big fund and were pretty aggressively investing what's like the first and second order priorities for you in terms of investing in terms of like categories uh are you, are you just saying like what category i would like to be investing in yeah like i i guess um on the one hand it's like what would you like to be invested in but on the other hand like what do you think is actually coming soon and where you're seeing like the most 
momentum in terms of startups being made that are, you know, have a high potential for promise in the, in the relative near term? Yeah. So this is actually tricky because the content side of things is actually promoting startups that are kind of well-known or, or at least more known, the audience kind of has a grasp of it. And, uh, you know, they're already kind of in the public eye, maybe these EV SPACs and everything like people want to talk about that. But then in the investing side, it's you want to be on the bleeding edge. You want to find these things that nobody else is talking about that people don't really have a grasp on and that you you might have an informational edge on. So my first angel investment was in a quantum computing startup, Reactive Q. And I think like nobody's talking about it, but I think that they can simulate futuristic future materials such as superconductors, advanced semiconductors, biomaterials. Um, there's a whole host of materials that they want to design. And I, I think that is like a category quantum computing that is now becoming uh, usable in terms of it's not just a research project, it's more of a startup now. Then the second category, I think that is gaining more hype, more people know about this one is nuclear energy. There's a company that I'm looking at that is going to be, I think is going to be really great uh, in regards to nuclear, but yeah, so nuclear quantum computing. I also think, think synthetic biology is going to really take off. Um, it's definitely getting a lot of hype. Like there have been companies developing programmable genetics that have raised 300 million rounds. Um, so, so that one's definitely raising a lot of money, but I'm very bullish on uh, biotech in general. Uh, one for like enhancing humans. The main problem with that is FDA regulations though, but maybe the pandemic has uh, expedited all of these issues. So. So who knows? But, but yeah, I would say I would say biotech, nuclear energy, and then uh, quantum computing are my three picks for that question. That's great. That's uh, as good of a response as I could have hoped for. I, I think you, men <laughs> you mentioned at the end, like you know, improving humans, and uh, when I hear that, I think of like first and foremost health span. I think that's uh, you know the the general field of like longevity mm -hmm. research and things like that is probably between the two of us where uh, we have like the most overlap in the Venn diagram in terms of like. The things that that we've spent a lot of time digging into uh and i, I think that's a really exciting yeah space. i should definitely add aging as the fourth one there yeah it's hard to know if it's going to be something that develops for me at least in the next 10 years or 20 years or, or 30 and 30 plus or whatever uh especially because like you said like the fda is a uh you know somewhat of an immovable object in, in that category uh mm -hmm. so we'll see i guess but um we'd, we'd love to hear the story of this first angel investment you made, the one you mentioned in um, quantum computing, I, I understand like you met the founder through Twitter and it's just very interesting to me. I'm seeing it happen myself a little bit now where you can sort of put out this content and become somewhat of like a magnet for people working on things, you know, mm -hmm. very much related or, or even just tangentially related to sort of what you're talking about. And is that sort of how you were able to, uh, you know, meet and then eventually invest in this first company? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, while you were asking that question, I thought of the fifth one and that's terraforming and that's using uh, some biological methods, but um, yes. So as for the angel investment, the way that I think about, you know, you were talking about being a magnet for uh, these people by just putting out the content. The way that I phrase this is that I think the internet is an AGI, artificial general intelligence, and that essentially by putting out content, you're saying, hey, hey, uh, AGI, I am interested in this. And then the AGI, whether it takes days, weeks, months, will bring you back like the treasures that you're asking for. So I think that by asking the internet 
broadly on TikTok, but also, you know, more of a niche community in Twitter, I think by just asking for amazing hard tech founders that are building an optimistic future, like I will just get those through putting out content. Um, and so what ended up happening was I was um, just friends with like an investor and we had been talking about this nanotech company. And then he put me in touch with Deep who's building the quantum company. And uh, we jumped on the phone, we immediately hit it off. We, I think we talked for like two hours. And then, you know, we did just a few other phone calls and this had been after I had become an accredited investor. And so I had essentially told the internet, I was like, Hey, I can invest now. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we jumped on a few calls and I was like, okay, you have some edges here that are irre you know, irreplaceable. Uh, not, not many people can actually use these edges and I would love to invest. So that was essentially how that happened. It was, it was through Twitter for sure. So how did you go about becoming accredited? Because I know there's like some new pathways that I particularly am interested in to be able to take the series exam. Is that the route you went or just qualifying by? Yeah, I took the series 65. I took the okay. series 65 exam. So the SEC changed the regulations so that you could take series seven, series 65 and series 81 or 82, something like that. And um, I took the series 65. So essentially I can be a registered investment advisor and uh, that also qualifies me to be an accredited investor. I think it's tragic that the SEC has regulated all of these um, young investors to just the public markets. And this is probably why we're seeing a lot of frenzy over the hard tech SPACs. But um, yeah, I'm very glad that the SEC looks to be changing their regulations. Yeah, that's that's really cool because uh, that, that to me was like hopeful as well. I think it's uh, it's somewhat unfortunate to your point that from my, like they, they frame, or at least historically, they framed like accredited investor, the designation as uh, being sort of like to protect people who don't know enough from mm -hmm. you know making bad investments. But realistically, there's a tremendous, like there's full classes of like amazing investments, including but not limited to early stage startups that are only available to uh, people who, who are accredited. And it's somewhat unfair from my perspective to, uh, claim to be protecting people from like losing money in those things, but not giving them the opportunity to benefit from the upside. And then at the same time, there's no, uh, you know, there's mm -hmm. no preventing people from like going to the casino and blowing all their money on blackjack <laughs> or getting like... a margin trade on Robinhood. Exactly. It's extremely yeah. paternalistic. And so, so I was actually talking with a friend about this and he, he was saying like, I do think that the sec or the accredited accreditation market should be just free to everybody. But then he was saying, you know, I also wish that Robinhood wouldn't give margin. And I was like, well, I think the only thing you can do is just describe the risks and rules and, and like just information and then let everybody make their own decisions. So I think that, you know, if the private stage markets are uh, more risky for a individual investor, I think they should just be told that and understand why it's more risky. And then, you know, if these the main reason it started is because people were lying about what they were actually investing in. And so as long as there's transparency in what you're investing in, uh, I think, I think people should be able to go for it. I think that the information is a good point. That's probably part of the nature of like why the accreditation doesn't really make sense anymore is because like back when it first started, the information was somewhat limited. Like not everyone certainly could see all that was going on with all of these companies, but now, the actual like SEC documents, uh, you know, are, are arguably not as valuable as just being able to like 
follow the founder and you know see what he's talking about and then see videos of people analyzing the company on YouTube and look at your TikToks and things like that. There's like so much information for everyone and yet everyone can't invest. It's like before mm-hmm. maybe the information was limited. So it made sense to sort of limit the investors to those who had access. But now it certainly seems that other people have at least the informational opportunity to get like just as smart as uh, an accredited investor might be. Absolutely. I mean, and Wall Street Brett's best proved that <laughs> recently that uh, regular investors can be can be kind of smart. So, I mean, you know, you could argue if they were actually smart, but some of them were in that in that subreddit. Yeah, no, no doubt. Especially, you know, the people who kind of started the wheel for sure. Mm-hmm. And then some people obviously got burnt uh, later on, which is somewhat unfortunate, but uh, it is what it is. Risk. That's just you know, how it happens. Yeah. Maybe you learn that way with a hundred bucks and then you don't lose you know, a hundred thousand later in life or, or exactly. whatever it is. But, um, you know, last thing on the investing, I guess, uh, what's like your, your history with investing? Like it's, to your point, content creators, it hasn't been traditionally obvious for them to like turn their their content platform into a vehicle for investing. So I'm curious sort of how you, uh, you know, came to that in the first place, if you had like a history investing in general or investing in maybe some public opportunities for some of these hard tech uh, stocks or, or whatnot, space stocks, whatever it might've been like Virgin and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so maybe just like your, your investing experience a little bit and how it translated into this, you know, being a, a major part of the master plan. Yeah. So I hadn't invested in any private companies before the quantum company and before I had really started doing any content creation, but I had in 2012 invested in, and you know, I've been investing during an entire bull market. I started in 2012. So, um, <laughs> take this all with a grain of salt, but I had invested in Tesla and Netflix, uh, each of those around $30 before uh, any of their splits. So, you know, those had done pretty well and I'd seen the power of investing and just return massive returns over holding for nearly a decade. So I think that was just like super powerful in my mind as just an, an experience of just buy and hold something that you believe in and, um, and, you know, returns will follow. Yeah. Tesla at 30 bucks will, uh, will certainly spark the fire on, on an interest in investing the way it's returned for over sure. the last, uh, last several years and, and especially in the last year or so. Um, yeah. But, but then, you, you know, I heard yeah. that Steve Jervinson, sorry, uh, I heard that Steve Jervinson invested in Tesla at like $3 a share. And, you know, he was actually told to sell some of his position when Tesla went public. But luckily he held and, you know, now without the split, maybe those $3 shares are worth $1,200 or something like that. Like it, it's absurd. So the lion's share of the gains really came after the, after it went to the public markets, but uh, yeah, and, and, that's, and that's why with his new fund, he was telling investors and LPs that he's going to hold the, um, the value for, sorry, he's going to have the fund, uh, return on like a 15 year timeline instead of a standard timeline. Yeah. And that's not to like harp on it too much, but that's the other thing with this whole accredited split is, just the opportunity for growth that happens pre IPO is so tremendous. You get Tesla at $3 if you're smart enough to sort of recognize it in the early days. And Mm -hmm. even, you know, I mean, Amazon, Tesla, there's no shortage of examples of companies that post IPO, Facebook uh, post IPO can, you know, grow and give like serious returns, but there's still that earlier opportunity, which right now public investors just don't have the ability to participate in. So, I'm hopeful in the near term with 
um, companies like like Carta, um, maybe AngelList that that will maybe Republic is another one that that maybe will have uh, greater access for the public. But in the meantime, I think I got to follow your footsteps and and take the series test and, and get that out of the way because it's a it's an awesome new pathway that they provided kind of quietly and mm-hmm. uh, you know without it you you couldn't be doing what you're doing right. For sure. No, without it, I, I would not be doing what I'm doing. So let, I would let's be, talk up, about, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I don't know where let's talk about another aspect of like the three prong master plan that I, I mentioned earlier, sort of like community founders, startups, um, the community side. Cause like, it's interesting at no point in that master plan, do you have, at least not in like the headline, do you have like content, but that's seemingly from mm-hmm. like the outsider view, what you're starting with. Uh, and I think I know why, but I'm curious to hear like, how does, you know, what's your approach to like building a community? I'm assuming it ties in with the content to some degree, but I'd love to hear how these things kind of interact in your mind. Yeah. So I would say community is different than audience. Audience is kind of one-sided community means that they're also talking to me and I'm talking back to them. Uh, audience is me just projecting to a lot of people. So I think having a community and really the, the main goal of a community is kind of to create like a, a pipeline of founders almost. So if you have somebody that's interested in your community and then you teach them about startups, similar to what YC did with, um, you know, Paul Graham essays, but also their YouTube videos, you, you teach them about startups and then they start thinking about these ideas and then they start riffing on ideas with you. And then, you know, when they actually have their, their real big idea about the massive startup that they want to do, then you're probably the person that, that they'll come to. And so it's really fun creating a community where you can riff on ideas because you know, the future is, is definitely not set in stone. Nobody has all the answers. Um, it's not like these founders just materialize out of thin air. Um, so yeah, so yeah, just creating a community where you can kind of create an atmosphere of like, uh, uh, being able to promote ideas that you believe in, or like just riff on ideas, I think is the most important part and your ideas won't get shut down. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I particularly like, like, you know, it's it's not a one-sided thing, a community. It's it's more of a two-sided exchange of ideas and communication, free-flowing. The audience, uh, I mean, one thing that I've come to appreciate just even early on is that it's as much or more about the quality as it is the quantity in terms of like followers and things like that. Uh, you know, just mm-hmm. a name on like the follow or, or a number on the follower account rather is uh, actually like not so indicative of, you know, the connection that you have. Um, Completely. So I think that's, and engagement. If you have 100,000 followers and your tweets get one like, I mean, come on, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, I, I've been kind of consciously all along thinking about like, you know, I, I'm trying to focus on quality over quantity and not really worrying about like the accelerating follower count and things like that. And I see that like the influxes and followers for me come from like, somewhat stupid things like a tweet that goes viral that like actually mm-hmm. wasn't even in the top 30% of like the quality of, of tweets that I have, at least like in my own mind. And it's about like Bitcoin and GameStop and suddenly I get a few hundred more followers and uh, <laughs> it's just kind of like silly versus the people who actually like discover the podcast and like come to like binge on some stuff and then they're following me and that's like a real fan. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely an interesting thing to keep an eye on. I guess the balancing you- act. Yeah, exactly. How do you think about um, in terms of like platform and like caliber of, of follower or like opportunity to kind of uh, engage with, with the followers like TikTok versus Twitter? I think you, you started more so on TikTok, certainly are, are bigger still on 
on TikTok, but growing on Twitter as well. And like you said, you know, we're able to to source the deal there, or at least starting the the seed there. Uh, I'm curious to hear sort of your your compare and contrast of like the two platforms, pros and cons of each. Yeah, so I would say that people looking to build startups should absolutely be on Twitter. Uh, this is the most important platform, and this is probably where a lot of the founder deal flow that I will have will come from. Um, that's not to say though that TikTok is lower quality or anything like that. Like I've had people reach out to me and they they had a YC interview actually, and they were like, "Hey, can we um, can, can we jump on a phone and do a practice interview to practice for our our interview with YC?" And I was like, "Sure, sure. Like I'll, I'll talk to you guys." They had users throwing themselves at them. Uh, they had a great product. And so I had asked like, okay, other than YC, what other investors have you spoken to? And they were like, what, what do you even mean? And so that that's where I kind of realized that um, not everyone's on Twitter and that some of the VCs just aren't well known outside of Twitter, honestly, uh, even, even to like high quality founders. So, but but more broadly, the way that I look at it is Twitter is where the engineers, the startup founders, the people really building the future are. And then uh, TikTok is more of like a broad audience where I can just be enthusiastic about uh, more broadly just science in the future and uh, news that's happening and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think uh, it's, a, it's an interesting point you bring up where it's like people on TikTok or just generally off Twitter, there's sort of, I've certainly realized over the last year, there's this ecosystem that exists that uh, you know, say what you want about Twitter, good and bad. I think in some ways it's totally awesome and amazing. And in other ways it's somewhat addicting and can certainly be negative in, in you know, overdosing on it in a certain way <laughs> and getting into the, the dopamine machine and things like that. But um, certainly a lot to be found. And I think a lot of people might just sort of see it as like a black and white. Like if I want to start a, found, a, a company and be a founder, I have to go and uh, and get into YC. But there's all of these I mean, there, there's VCs and traditional angels, but now there's people like you who are coming up who are super interesting, super knowledgeable about different sectors and things like that, and can not only give people like money and advice to, to get their company going, but can also give them a platform to sort of get it out there amongst your followers and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's like help them hire, help them if they have a consumer product, like even if they don't have a consumer product, it's it still helps to get their name out there. Yeah, so I, I totally agree that it's useful to have like the niche audience and the broad audience. So the way that I look at it is like, it's almost an arbitrage, like Twitter. Um, I can show Twitter like that. I have an arbitrage to a broader audience or something like that. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. I think uh, there's a lot that you can do just with the number of eyeballs you have. And again, not just the number, but like the engagement of those people. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot more to offer a founder than maybe a traditional angel who has really good advice and has the money, but, you know, all money, the money itself is the same and the advice might be better or worse, but you bring a third factor with the, uh, you know, the, the viral mechanism basically and, and the ability for not just consumer businesses, like you said, but really any business, like good PR is good PR. Uh, some yep. people say any, any PR is good PR, but, um, you know, the, the ability for you to get these founders out in the open and especially because all of the people interested in this space are coming to you, they might find their next big investor from, from your platform or whatever it is. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. Let's, um, let's go through like your evolution on TikTok again. I'm no, no TikTok expert <laughs> by, uh, by any means, but I scrolled all the way back and it took a while cause you've been a prolific content creator up there, but I got all the I way try. back to the beginning. Yeah. And, and you started 
And it wasn't, it looked like maybe it took you six or seven videos to figure out that like space was the thing. Like you mentioned, there was, uh, I think like your first video got like a quarter million views or so. And it mm -hmm. was sort of the rundown of Elon Musk and SpaceX, uh, some, some announcement that they made at the time. Um, but before that you were doing like sort of random videos. There was one, you were like eating a stick of butter. I was like, <laughs> this is the content that I came for. Yeah. Um, just like doing a trend thing or something. Uh, I was just messing around and having fun. For sure. But, but quickly, like you found that like, okay, this SpaceX thing went off. So I'm going to start doing a lot of space videos. And now it seems like you've kind of gotten in the groove of doing like weekly space updates and uh, weekly hard, hard tech updates as well. Um, would love to hear like, and also like the production value I see has gone up like a lot, like you're doing a lot different things. You have like the whole background set to certain images and you're doing like slides and pointing to things and like covering things with your head and, and things like that. Uh, whereas at the beginning, it was kind of a little more, um, you know, something that, that it looked like wasn't maybe quite as, as difficult and, and you've learned a lot since then. So we'll just be curious to hear like the ins and outs of TikTok over your journey. Yeah, I would actually credit a lot of that to just TikTok building out a really great video editing platform. Um, and, and I don't think it's perfect by any means. I think there's a lot of improvements they can make, but it's mainly, and this has been uh, discussed a lot within the, the TikTok conversation, but it's just so easy to create content there. So originally I was just uh, using the TikTok editor to record my screen and I was I would pull up images and just record my screen, but now they have like the green screen effects and then all these other effects. And then I have downloaded like an editor so I can, I can edit movies kind of like slides and stuff, but that takes a lot of work. So I only do that for specific videos, to be honest, but then I just go back to the green screen and uh, pretty easily make videos. So I, I would credit a lot of that to just TikTok's evolution as a platform. I mean, I started in 2019, which was when they were still uh, developing these tools. So, so I've, I've been fortunate to like capitalize on their, their developments. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, like getting involved early with a platform and then being able to grow alongside it and uh, experience the improvement of tools. I'm curious, are, are you, uh, dabbling with with clubhouse at all right now and, and getting involved in the early days of that um I, I don't dabble with clubhouse i'm focused on audio right now with the podcast but uh personally i prefer having evergreen content so that people can kind of go through a backlog and i prefer more produced things um maybe nyu girls shoot your shot is pretty fun uh but <laughs> personally i i just don't i don't get too much value out of that and even out of the space conversations like they're all right. I just, I just haven't really learned a ton. Uh, maybe, maybe that's, that's on me as a user. I think that the Elon Musk Vlad interview was amazing because there's no platform that that could have happened on otherwise. And then, you know, the Steve jobs interview or Steve jobs stories the other night was pretty fun too. But, um, I, I think clubhouse is interesting. I'm actually, I, I'm also pushing TikTok for a lot more features. Um, but, but yeah, I think clubhouse is interesting. Yeah, I'm sort of with you. I think uh, for me, there's tremendous value in being able to record everything that I've done in terms of like the podcast, like uh, right now recording with you, like so many people will be able to listen to this versus if we had done it on Clubhouse, at least, I mean, maybe you could have brought the people, but I certainly wouldn't have brought in like too many people versus this where, you know, there's, there's people who listen to the podcast today, obviously, and over the next week or two or whatever it is. But then in the long term, as people continue to sort of discover both of us really they can go in their podcasts and search they're either on my podcast or they search your name and they can listen to this in five years and it's just to mm -hmm. me clubhouse 
you might be capturing like 1% of the listeners you otherwise could have in a recorded version. And I think there's, there's interesting use cases for Clubhouse. Like, uh, I think it's pretty good for like nuanced debate because on here, there's mm -hmm. like, tends to be like a host and a guest and on there it can kind of be more of an, an even split um, with like less of, less of that sort of dynamic of like being on a show or hosting a show or whatever it is. But uh, I like you, I'm like, on the one hand, maybe I just haven't spent enough time, but on the other hand, uh, not too sure I want to like invest much early in terms of like my time and energy, but exactly. you were able to, you were able to see that with TikTok early on that, that it was a valuable place for you to kind of invest. Right. I think, I think clubhouse will develop these features. So I think that they'll probably have a feature where you can record the podcast and, or the episode or the, the conversation, and then it will automatically turn into a podcast. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that and help their creators monetize because, you know, if, if you can't monetize on a platform, um, it's it's kind of useless for creators. Like, well, they are kind of incentivized maybe, but um, it, it just will really help their platform. And I, I'm sure that they're working on that. The social media is exciting, but you know what's more exciting, I think, is space. So for let's, sure. uh, let's go there. I think, uh, I mean, I, I don't have like a great understanding, like I've said, on, on space. Like I, I'm sort of getting up to speed a little bit. My understanding from far out is that uh, everything SpaceX is doing and maybe some other companies as well in terms of driving down launch costs rapidly is sort of serving as a catalyst for the entire industry. Um, mm -hmm. And that, you know, it might enable things such as like space manufacturing and whatnot. I had um, Delian on from, from Varda Space, which I think sounds like an awesome company. Um, Varda is amazing. Yeah, curious to hear, and maybe you could talk about Varda a little bit. And I saw you had, you had it as part of your uh, one of your weekly space updates. So I figure you know a thing or two, uh, <laughs> at least. But but would love to hear sort of your overall, you know, for the for the average listener who actually doesn't really know what's really going on in space. Obviously, they can go down the rabbit hole on your TikTok, but would love to hear sort of the the shorter synopsis of what's going on and what there is to be excited about. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I can't talk about the details of Varda, but they're essentially they're just doing uh, in space manufacturing. And I think the the main value of, of space is that it's the next infinite frontier. That's just how I would think about it. Uh, SpaceX is building the transportation so that, that you can get from point A to point B. They're building the highway system. And then you got to look at who's going to build the hotel system, the gas stations, the uh, mining, the off world industries. I think those are going to be the the big industries and just like conceptualizing space as the the infinite frontier i think is a really good paradigm to look at it at and you you've talked a lot about mars like i watched this one video where you were talk you're explaining why um a uh, TikTok rather where you're explaining why like it's actually pretty unlikely that we would live in domes on mars even though like a lot of people are conceptually oh for sure imaging domes, domes. don't make any sense artist yeah. renderings don't make sense um, so anybody listening to this should go listen to Casey or read Casey Hanmere's blog on why domes don't make sense. He uh, lays out the case, but essentially domes are pressurized, right? And so if you have one atmospheric pressure, um, you know, of Earth's atmospheric pressure, and then outside of the dome, you have Mars atmospheric pressure, uh, which is significantly less. I, I think it's like 1%, 6%, something like that of Earth's atmosphere. Um, then you actually have this upward force kind of pushing out. So it's a pressurized uh, thing on the thing on the Martian surface. And so you have to anchor it to the ground. So you can anchor it to the ground uh, around the outside of the circle if it's a dome, right? But then you're, 
you're spending a lot of force or you're spending a lot of effort to anchor this to the ground. And you have another problem, which is that if you actually want your society to grow, uh, it's pretty hard to connect these domes together and create a bunch of domes. Domes are just terrible to work with in general, um, even just on earth construction. So you have this, this force pushing upward and then you just can't expand. So what seems to make the most sense is that if you kind of look at um, a bunch of columns pulling like that, a bunch of columns that can, uh, that can, a bunch of columns that can help with the pressurize, put the pressurized force pushing, pushing upwards. Uh, so you have a bunch of columns and then it turns into like this rectangular uh, structure. And it, the best way to phrase it is like, it's a gigafactory. And so you can build maybe this, uh, I, I don't know, like you can build this small gigafactory and then you just add a few columns outside, you add a roof over that, and then it's it, you expand the Gigafactory. And so what you end up with is this more elegant expanding structure. And so it's like an ever expanding Gigafactory across the Martian surface where you can just keep creating more habitat as needed. I think that's, that's a super important way to look at it because then we're not uh, feeling like we're living in domes. We're not feeling like we're gonna just be surviving on crickets. We're like building and then expanding and into the frontier. Yeah, I think that that made sense just from your explanation just now. And also, you know, th there might be a longer blog post that explains it in more detail. But for people like me, the TikTok was uh, was sufficient to sort of get the picture. And uh, I'm anti-domes now. I'm pro this, uh, <laughs> this gigafactory yeah, once you, look. Yeah, once you notice it, like I get people tagging me in concept art that's like, Najak wouldn't like this <laughs> <laughs> um, with, with the domes. <laughs> Yeah, we're anti domes on this podcast. We, uh, <laughs> we we like the small expandable gigafactory look, and I think just like building more modularly. I'm actually hopeful for that sort of thing on Earth as well. It's a little bit of a, a different story, but um, being able to just improve construction and architecture and the way that we sort of think about how we live and the structures that we live in is uh, is an interesting thread to go down. But Marge specifically, like, what are your hopes and expectations? Obviously, we're we're both young guys. Like I think we both share this tremendous optimism for what's possible uh, over mm -hmm. the course of our lifetimes, which I think we both hope also and maybe optimistic could be a lot longer than a traditional lifetime has been <laughs> yes. and a lot healthier as well. Um, what What are your sort of what's your like near near ish term outlook for for Mars and, and you know how that's there's obviously could be some development of like space manufacturing and things. Mars is like a bit of a uh, at least a, a different category, maybe it's related and whatnot, but I'm curious, like Mars specifically, what your thoughts are for the future. Yeah. So, I mean, I think SpaceX is the answer here, the Starship architecture. I think they will get humans on Mars by the end of the decade. This, I, I don't know if it'll be one human or how long that human will last, but I do think they will have humans on Mars uh, by the end of the decade. And then, you know, uh, hopefully a few thousand humans by the end of uh, 20, you know, or at least halfway through that decade, 2035. Uh, it, it really depends on the Mars planetary uh, traje trajectories too. So on how quickly we can populate and how many starships they have, but the rate that they're manufacturing starships uh, will exponentially increase and we're going to have a ton of humans on Mars. So my, my main prediction there is humans on Mars by end of the decade. That's awesome. And it's just like so crazy to think about. I don't spend a lot of time, like I said, in this specific sector. I, I want to spend more because it's just, I mean, I, I'm doing this podcast a lot talking about, you know, op optimistic futures uh, that, you know, resulting from technology. 
and I just haven't gone down the space rabbit hole. I think it just, it's a little from the outside looking in, it's so technical, but, um, have, you know, have you found anything that, uh, really piqued your curiosity? Uh, not enough to like really dig in. Not that it's like not interesting to me. It's just hard to explain. Like, I think I, I go down things when I think that I might be able to, uh, you know, make an impact or, um, there's, there's just like a certain set of drivers that would lead me to like totally binge on content. Uh, and, and your, your TikTok is the closest thing. Maybe this, this, <laughs> this podcast will sort of lead me down the rabbit hole. Um, similar to like aging, like not, not something that was obvious for me to become interested by any means, but that was just like so big from my perspective. I mean, space is, is, you know, infinite. So I, I guess it's, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're both quite large, but these things that are just like endless potential and receiving, you know, not so much attention space, maybe more so than aging, but, uh, the prospects of like literally having humans on Mars in the next 10 years is, uh, is pretty incredible. And I think your, your content specifically, everything you're doing and, and hopefully it'll reflect. I'm certainly optimistic that it'll reflect in sort of like the investment portfolio you're able to build over the next decade, uh, should age quite nicely since you're, you know, digging in on all this stuff, kind of a decade sure hope so. in front of uh, <laughs> legit progress. Yeah. Yeah. The main thing I think is that people in our media environment, um, our media environment's fairly pessimistic because that drives a lot of clicks. And so I think people are just not seeing optimism. And so just by making these videos, it makes it feel like the future's actually happening um, every day. Like it, it, things are actually progressing. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a it's a large part of it. I, I guess that's that's maybe a good place to uh, to go for my last question, and then we'll tell people where to follow you and, and things like that. But um, what do you think? You know, could you just kind of elaborate a bit more on the importance of having this content and this general narrative about the possibility of technology in the near term and the long term to make for a, a better world for you know individuals as, as well as collectively, and how sort of imagination helps sort of drive the reality in a way and you need to kind of have that content before you can have the actual people building and the success come to fruition Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of similar to how you need concept art before you actually uh you need concept art of the seven minutes of terror and landing the perseverance rover before you can actually land the perseverance rover right um so you need the people uh that are kind of imagining the future and the way that I think about my content is that it's not necessarily like one piece of content that will define the future or change the future, but it's the threads throughout all of the content that I produce. And you, you can kind of relate this maybe to someone like Tim Ferriss. Like you won't remember Tim Ferriss episode number 300, you know, 70 or something, but you will remember that Tim Ferriss is very focused on uh, self-optimization, maybe Jordan Peterson, like self-responsibility type things or um, biohacking. All of these threads are very like common within his narratives. And then people start biohacking and doing self more self-optimization and he's, or doing more four hour uh, work weeks and uh, optimizing their time and stuff like this. And so, so then if I kind of have threads throughout my work that are like building an optimistic future, creating advanced like or impossible materials like superconductors, room temperature superconductors, or terraforming the Salton Sea, and you like associate those ideas with uh, maybe NASDAQ, but also just being possible, as in like there's there's ways to attack this. I think that's kind of how those ideas start disseminating into society. And then um, regardless of if it's if it's attached to my name or not, 
uh, people will just start maybe working more on terraforming uh, using maybe biological methods or, or something like that. And so, so that's kind of how I think about just all of the content that I produce. It's, it's like the specifics of each video and each, each piece of content do help like, like um, having domes on Mars, but just, um, but, but just like the overall thread of hopefully getting more engineers working on these awesome problems is, is the thing that I really want. Yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, I think that's a great perspective and I'm excited about everything that you're producing content on it. And I think it's, it's an interesting point you make that it's like you, you make all this very detailed content, but then at the end of the day, it's just sort of to, to bring attention to this broader thread of like, all right, space is going to be awesome. This hard tech is possible and a better future is coming. And, and that's sort of like, if people can just take, and maybe those aren't the exact threads, but if people can take mm -hmm. like a few broad things away from just you just doing consistent work and like going deep and it's a lot of work for sort of a, a single or a few like broad takeaways, like even Tim Ferriss, like you said, but mm -hmm. um, I think it is, it's possible as, as you know, you and I to, to make like a real impact in this way. And obviously you have some of the uh, more of the technical expertise for sure. But even as me, like without the technical expertise, I find that I'm able to help bring some attention to some of these things that I think are really important. And it's just, it's an amazing aspect of the internet age. Um, I, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, we were able to do this today. I'm glad that uh, the internet, the AGI, as you mentioned, was able to- uh, Yes, brought us together. Yeah, brought us together. And I think like you said, and like I said earlier, I think we're both viewing ourselves and each other as extremely early on in the uh, in the growth. Frightening, frighteningly early. Frighteningly <laughs> early. That, that's what I'm going with from now on. We have on. a that massive is... mountain to climb. We are, yeah, 1%. We are maybe put on our shoes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, I'm just oh putting my on my God. second sock. I think you, you yeah. maybe have your first shoe on or something like that, but, uh, but it's really cool. I'm excited about the NASDAQ master plan. I'm excited about the investments you're going to make. Uh, I'm looking forward to keeping in touch. Where can people go? And uh, I mean, TikTok first and foremost, Twitter, anywhere you want to drive people, the, the new podcast, highly encourage people to go uh, listen to that. Uh, just tell people where they can go and, you know, get, get into this NADJAC community, which is only going to go, go out from here. For sure. Yeah. I mean, my favorite place to uh, meet people and talk to people is definitely Twitter. My username is NADJAC underscore underscore, because for some reason NASDAQ was taken. And I think I messed up the old NASDAQ underscore account, um, but NASDAQ underscore underscore on Twitter. And then uh, my master plan is NASDAQ.substack.com. That's kind of just like my Patreon to generally support the work. But uh, of course, the TikTok. And now I'm starting this podcast. Uh, currently, the name is NASDAQ Futurism with a V. So F-V-T-R-I-S-M. And it, my thinking there is like future F-V-T-R is like the ticker uh, symbol for the future. So um, NASDAQ Futurism, where I interview people, engineers, researchers, founders, building hard tech futures, future. Uh, that's, that's definitely what I want to focus on. I, I want to kind of be like the, the technical Joe Rogan or the hard tech Lex Friedman, if Lex Friedman focuses on software. So that's my main focus right now. I think that through those podcast episodes, I can create those threads, those narratives of an optimistic future. And, and that's really what I'm working on. Mm -hmm.